Hi, and welcome to Long Live the Queen, where we talk about the women who made history. And by we, I mean the royal we, because it's just me. Today, our subject is marriage. Marriage didn't look the same 500 years ago as it does now. But if you were to see one of those marriages, there would probably be some familiar parts. The couple getting married often didn't choose each other. But just like today, people were all very different. Some parents were laid back and just wanted their children to be happy. Those parents would sometimes allow their children a say in who they were matched with. But that was unusual. Those parents would probably be seen more as new age progressive parents. Letting your children a say at all in who they married was just a newfangled idea. There would have been heavy judgment from others. The more common scenario was that parents of the bride and parents of the groom would set it up. I read a passage that said that the bride and groom were often strangers before they met. We're all strangers before we meet. The difference was that they would meet knowing this was their future spouse. It would be like a blind date arranged by your parents that was expected to end in marriage, sometimes that very same day. It is often thought that back then you could marry anyone of the opposite sex. This wasn't true. It sometimes seems true because nobility and royalty often married their cousins or second cousins. This wasn't as is sometimes thought because they wanted to keep their bloodlines pure. It was because if you were rich and powerful, the goal was to marry someone rich and powerful. And often those were your relatives. They were trying to keep the money in the family. They found it very important to marry someone in the same social sphere that they were in. And oftentimes the people in their social sphere were their relatives. But marrying your cousin was illegal Nobility and royalty, though, could get permission from the Pope to break the law. If a peasant wanted to marry their relative, it was a solid no-go. The Pope wasn't going to allow the little people to break the law. Similarly to now, the rich had found a legal loophole to get around the laws they didn't like. What can I say? The more things change, the more they stay the same. So marriage could be very simple. The only requirements were the I do's and sex. Consent was required, even by the women, but there was immense pressure for young girls to go along with it. Many weddings included the bride, groom, or both crying while they consented to the marriage. You had to say I do, but threats, pressure, coerciveness, or just plain obligation played into it so often. There was also the problem of sin, specifically the sin of Eve. Remember when she got all buddy-buddy with Satan and had a snack? This was on women, and you had to make up for it if you wanted to get into heaven. As a woman, you had two options to cleanse yourself of this sin. One option was to become a nun, dedicate your life to God, and you are good. The other option was to get married and have children. Imagine you are a female between the ages of 12 and 24. That is roughly the window. You choose husband and kids, a nunnery, or hell. Your choice, but also your brain isn't fully formed and you don't understand long-term consequences so well. 
just living your best single life was only an option if you wanted to spend eternity in hell. And sex outside of marriage was illegal. If neither party was married, that was the crime of fornication. So if two teenagers were caught, or even suspected, of engaging in the act, marriage was an easy way to avoid being convicted of fornication. If one or both parties were married, that was also a crime. That would be the crime of adultery. Marriage in a church wasn't necessary. You could get married anywhere. But you could not be married by someone who had killed someone else. Killing someone took you out of the officiating game permanently. If an official wedding was your jam, it would look something like this. Clothing would likely just be your nicest outfit, your best clothes, whatever that was. Nobility sometimes would have new clothes made because they could afford it, but it wasn't tuxedos and a white dress. That wouldn't become normal until the Victorian era in the 1800s. Green was seen as the color of love, and blue was seen as the color of purity. So those colors were usually the move, but other colors were also acceptable. White was seen as more of a color of mourning, so it wouldn't have been appropriate for a wedding unless you were trying to send a very strong message. Garters and veils were not wedding attire, but they would have been there because they were part of a woman's everyday clothing. You had to cover your hair because naked hair could drive the men wild. And garters were holding up your socks, so they were necessary. But it would have been seen more like underwear. If you got married, you probably wore undergarments. Not necessarily because underwear is an important wedding symbol, but because that's just what we do most days. But we did keep those as traditions until today. So, the veil and the garter. So the families would dress for the wedding after breakfast and walk, usually as a group, to the church. It was a parade of marriage extravagance, but not so fast. When they got to the church, they would stop just outside. The wedding would happen outside the church. Outside the church door, the bride and groom would stand facing the church, the groom on the right side and the bride on the left, traditionally the sides we still stand on today. The priest would ask if anyone had any objections, the speak now or forever hold your peace part. Then he would ask the bride and groom if there was any reason they couldn't be married. Maybe the groom was already married. Maybe the bride was not a virgin. Both valid reasons to call off a wedding. And if they were true, you were expected to notify them. If you listen to my episode on Joan, the fair maid of Kent, there was a whole drama with the first secret marriage, then a second public one, and it caused a whole thing. There was a ring exchange, and the rings were placed on the same finger we use today, except on the other hand. Then the couple and their families would enter the church for a post-wedding mass. The couple and their families would then go to a wedding feast, paid for by the groom's family. It was their version of our wedding reception, and it wasn't just friends and family that went to this wedding feast. It was also a feast for the other bachelors of the community, as a sort of, I'm sorry for taking up an eligible bride meal. I took this one, but hey, have a meal and a drink. My bad. Because they didn't have DNA tests, and probably because of all the drinking, the wedding night often included the whole community. 
the women would help the bride to bed and the men would escort the groom into the bedchamber, often with noise, singing, dancing. Think drunken frat guy vibes. This is why oftentimes now at weddings, there is a public removing of the garter, a throwback to when they were helped to undress on their wedding night. Thankfully, we don't do the whole ceremony now, usually. Women or girls could get married at 12 and men or boys could get married at 14, young. And this was usually for life. Divorce was not a thing. Marriages could be dissolved legally under certain circumstances. If either the bride or groom had taken vows to God as a priest or nun before marrying, the marriage could be dissolved because marriage to God superseded worldly marriage. Also, either the husband or wife could request sex at any time and the other was obligated to accept. Now this generally went more one way than the other, but women could get their marriage dissolved if a husband wasn't able or chose not to perform in the marriage bed. And men were expected to take care of their wives. The culture was different then, so taking care of them wasn't the same as you would think of now. But they were expected to be at least kind-ish and loyal-ish to their wives, but also the husbands were the boss. One of the more famous love stories, famous in air quotes because it was a whole thing, was King Henry II of England and Eleanor of Aquitaine. Eleanor was married to King Louis VII of France for 15 years. She went on crusade with him. They had two daughters together. The marriage was not a happy one. Eleanor was strong-willed and Louis was very, very pious. The Pope got involved and tried to help them reconcile. It wasn't a good look for a king to dissolve his marriage because he just didn't like his wife. And to add insult to injury, Eleanor just kept having daughters. And the king wanted heirs, male heirs, because in France, those were the only heirs that could take the throne. But then there was good news. The royal couple discovered that they were third cousins. My bad guys, turns out we're related. But since they had married in good faith, allegedly, their children were allowed to stay legitimate. So the marriage was annulled and everyone was happy and single again. Well, not everyone, because on the way home, Eleanor of Aquitaine was kidnapped by a few men to try and force her into a marriage. Because whoever controlled Eleanor got to control all of her money and lands. But the man that she wanted was Henry Plantagenet. Duke of Normandy. They got married in a relatively low-key wedding. Though a duke, Henry was a simple guy. He didn't dress like a duke. He dressed more like a woodsman. That woodsman became king of England. They were happy, but then it turned out that they both had fiery tempers and there were a ton of arguments. And Henry had a ton of affairs. Eleanor ran off to Poitiers to live her best artsy life. She was high culture. Henry had a bunch of sons, and they were always arguing, not just with each other, but also with their father. 
Three of their four sons started a rebellion against their father, and their mother supported their sons against their father because, well, it wasn't her ex-husband. They were separated, and it she was going to take her kid's side. The rebellion failed, and Henry had his wife imprisoned for supporting their sons against him because that's what you do with your ex-wife when you're the king way back then. She was imprisoned until her son, Richard the Lionheart, became king of England. This all could have been avoided with a divorce, but they weren't always easy to get. Just ask King Henry VIII. Domestic violence was not a valid reason to end a marriage. But sometimes, in really toxic situations, the couple would be legally ordered to stay apart. They couldn't divorce, but they also weren't allowed to be together. I'm going to end this with an old Saxon saying. More things are necessary for a household than four naked thighs. Words to live by. And that is where we will leave it for now. You can send me your thoughts at longlivethequeenpodcast at gmail.com or on Facebook or Instagram at longlivethequeenpodcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with friends. And if you hated this episode, share with your enemies. I'm not picky. Long live to all the queens out there, and until next time, bye. I'm going to end this with an old Saxon saying, more things are necessary for a household than four naked thighs. (laughs) Oh, the Saxons. That's a saying. (laughs) 